does that ever limit you? So, like, do you ever get an idea that you want to happen? Then you just like, well, that can't happen because of you know that's a great question that I've never been asked before. Uh, and the truth is, uh, it is limiting uh, if you write that way. Uh, but you know, there's always a chance you could kind of open the door back up. And I'll give you a couple of examples. So I had some some fans reach out to me, and one of them said, "Please don't kill one of the villains in the novel." Hello, to welcome everybody to another episode of the Let's Gather podcast. I'm your host Zeke, and this episode I have JV Hillier to speak about being an author. You can find more information about his series by clicking the link in the description below. I think Hunter one if you name is this episode and hope you next day and enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to be on this evening. It's nice to have you. And I'll let you introduce yourself to the audience and then we can get started. Yeah, sure. So my name is JV Hillier. You can call me Joe. I am an epic fantasy and dark fantasy author, which means if you're a fan of uh, Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones or Dungeons and Dragons in any way, you probably will like uh, my stuff. I'm also the publisher of Altered Reality Magazine, which is an online magazine that features speculative fiction and poetry with a, you know, a a bend towards sci-fi and fantasy. And my fantasy novels are being transformed into a video game that will be an augmented reality and video reality game that will be relaunched in 2024 uh, with its completion and some of its uh, proof of concept demos done in a 2023 timeframe. So Got a lot on my plate. Thanks for having me. <laughs> nice. Thank you for wanting to be a guest. So let's break all that down. So you're saying about a lot of writing. So why did you choose writing as like your passion? So a few things. Uh, my When I was younger, my uncle was paralyzed in the war. He was a Marine. And um, I grew up in his bedroom. And uh, my mother was his nurse. And, you know, there was limited things that he could do with his life, uh, one of which was write. Uh, and so I picked up you know i kind of idolized him in many respects and um you know and that was his form of escapism it was something that he could do to get himself out of his physical condition that he could no longer control so he would write short stories and pulp fiction that would be published in traditional magazines and most of it was like horror or gothic you know that kind of stuff uh and then i got introduced to lord of the rings and tolkien when i was very young i was in the fourth grade and um, one of my teachers had a, uh, a health, like a health condition and he left for the end of the year. And that last month, my substitute teacher uh, took over and read us Lord of the Rings and Tolkien. And I just fell in love with fantasy adventure, like anything that had to do with it, I couldn't consume enough of it. So, you know, I went home and told him about it and he started getting me involved in writing. And at the time it was, you know, fourth grade kind of stories, but, you know, he entered me into a, an eighth grade writing contest when I was in the fourth grade and I won and I went to go collect my award and my mother took me there and everybody was looking at me like, what is this kid doing here? Um, but I, I've always found, um, that writing has been a, a calling of mine. It's something I do in my professional life for, but it's a lot of nonfiction stuff. I do, uh, defense lobbying and technology lobbying in DC. Uh, so I do a lot of writing. I write policy papers. I write speeches. I write grants uh, and things like that. And so to translate that into something that was fiction, 
uh, was always a lot of fun and something that's become a second career for me. Nice. You do all the writing that I won't do in life. We thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and nice. So then you talk about fantasy. So what is it about fantasy that captures you? Um, so it's the escapism, right? It's entertainment and escapism. Uh, you know, I get enough realism in my life that I, I don't need any more. And for, you know, you to cheer for a hero in a movie or, you know, fall in love with a, you know, uh, you know, a story in a book is something that's always, you know, captured my attention. I think it's something that, um, you know, most people like to get when they've got some downtime, right? They want to be entertained first and foremost. And some of us like to be entertained in certain ways. And then my way is, is reading or watching a, a good movie, you know, on the big screen or even, you know, falling in love with a series on, on Netflix or HBO or something like that. And, um, you know, I think that the, the, the genre of fantasy is, is one that's, uh, you know, of heroes and gallantry and swords and sorcery and a lot of fun. So everything from like Conan the Barbarian when I was young um, and watching that original with Arnold uh all the way up to the most recent like rings of power on amazon or uh house of the dragon on hbo you know i've always been attracted to that kind of stuff why i just think it's because it's so grand it's so epic and it's something that i like to participate in now as a writer you know i get to focus on on creating my own realms and my own stories with my own heroes and villains um and just you know something i love to do cool um but so yeah fantasy and then when you writing what do you expect people to get from your writing so first and foremost i hope they're entertained by it uh but there's also some lessons you know that you know you you, you uh, embed in it too uh, a lot of the themes that i put in book one follow along you know stuff like duty you know uh there's a, there's a character in 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 the novel that's protecting the borderlands uh from monsters basically and you know he chooses the life of duty to to help his um you know his uh you know his family and his village as opposed to you know you know what he he could he's a noble he could easily leave and go elsewhere but he's decided to serve his people and 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 a lot of that is kind of like reckoning or sort of like hearkening back to what my uncle had done like he didn't have to go to the war he chose to be a marine he chose to go there and you know, and I think that, you know, some folks need to, you know, read about that. And in, in this in this novel, you know, there's a lot of that where not only is he choosing duty at the border, but he's also choosing duty not to fall in love with the woman that he really has feelings for because she's above his station. Uh, and there's a lesson in there, too. I, I make Ritter, who's one of the main characters, Trollborn, and he's a he's a you know, he's a, a character of mixed blood. He's kind of like a muggle from Harry Potter um where uh he's not you know a true blood he's you know part elven and part human and they're kind of looked down upon uh by the cultures and it's he falls in love with the princess of the highest elven stock and she's forbidden from being with him and he's forbidden with being with her and it's that clash of like unrequited love and does he choose to to do his duty and walk away from his love or does he try to to fall in love with her anyway and does she cross over you know her own social issues and put them aside to be with the person that she loves and i think that that's 
those kind of struggles are really critical to a really good story. And I think you find them in a variety of places, whether in my case, I chose duty and forbidden love, but you know, there's plenty of, of struggles in, that, that you can find in Star Wars or Star Trek or, or, or Lord of the Rings, where it's, you know, it's a matter of, of honor and duty above other things. And that's, that's kind of what I focus the, the themes of the novel on. And continue with that, what's your favorite type of story? Like, you know how to say the seven stories, like the hero's journey and all that stuff. What's yeah. your favorite type? Hero's journey, right? I mean, come on, man. I mean, that's what I, that's, you know, to me, it, it gives someone a chance to rise up against odds. And I find that most appealing, right? And I think that a hero's journey, whether it's, you know, you're reading it in, in the Odyssey or you're reading it uh, in modern day contemporary stuff with, uh, you know, Apollo 13 or, or any of that kind of, where you could cheer for somebody who's going above and beyond and putting their neck on the line and may not come back. Uh, for some greater good sometimes that's love sometimes it's protecting family sometimes it's protecting a nation um in other cases you know it's just you know someone who's completing a quest like king arthur and and percival who goes out and finds the the holy grail you know that kind of stuff is uh heroic and it takes me away from my my day-to-day -day stuff which um oftentimes can be filled with realism you know and, and in a way that um you know I, I like to see those heroes win and get get, get to cheer for some folks nice and to take a step back to when you say you won a few you was a fourth grade won an eighth grade writing test my writing competition I mean did you have any doubts that you used like a child like hey let me just, let me just do this yeah my my uncle told me that my writing was strong enough to do it and you know you don't know how you test out against that stuff and you don't know what to believe and when you're young you hope that you can be something someday and something i've always wanted to be was be was an author and so you know standing up and testing myself against um people that were almost twice my age well not twice about four or five years older than me uh and being able to beat them all in a fair writing contest was was a lot of fun and i think at that point i knew that my trajectory was going to be in writing and, you know as a career i didn't know what it was going to be like um in the beginning and and i chose to go down sort of like a political path that uh led to you know helping young tech companies access the government marketplace in a place that they hadn't been before and i had worked on the hill uh in for the armed services committee for like six years and so i knew how to get them into the Pentagon and how to find the money to develop new techs to protect us. Uh, and, you know, it was a way for them that they didn't know how to do it. And so my writing skills helped sell their stuff to the right people to get funded. You know, and, and that was all great. And, and you make money and you provide for your family doing that. But in the end, it's always that good story that sticks in the back of your head. You just want to get out of your system, put it on paper and have people read and tell you that they like it. And that's, that's reward enough. So it's like the business and like the pleasure. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> like you're helping people in two different ways, helping people make money and then the money being made trickle down to better products being made and then better safety. And then you have, we have stories with, that can make somebody day. Yep. Yeah. And in my case, you know, I always like taking technologies that provided either, you know, for the, common defense you know like our war fighters that are you know on the front lines that need 
better weapons or they need better protection. Uh, or in the other case, a lot of it was research and development for new tech that could be provided for things like healthcare for veterans that were injured in war uh, or, you know, the, you know, that could help you know, prevent our submarines from being blown up by enemy missiles. And, and that kind of stuff, I think, is, you know, what attracted me to that as a, a profession. Uh, and now that I'm, you know, going down the path of being a, a full-time author, it's been a, a big transition. I'll tell you, I, I, you get a lot of interviews uh, in politics and everybody's looking for a gotcha moment and they're out there, you know, trying to get you to say something you shouldn't say and they're going to film you and it's going to be on the news. And then you come here and you're with a bunch of creatives and all they're trying to do is uplift you. They're trying to help you be successful. They want you uh, to do well and you want them to do well with you. So you're pulling each other up as opposed to beating each other down. And it's just, it's so much more. I'll, I'll never forget my first interview as an author. You know, I studied almost like a day and a <laughs> half, like figuring he was going to tear my book up. It's going to be a big, you know, constructive criticism thing. And one of the questions he asked me, was what what season of the year I like to write best in, and it was at that moment I knew that this was a different industry. This was something that it was more about what's what sparks stuff up here and how we can help each other as opposed to, you know, the things I have to put up in Washington. So uh, it's very refreshing, and I think I'm on the right path. <laughs> Ask that question. I saw that question, and you probably studying like. Here's all the literary devices. Here's how everything connects. Having all your points that here's all like how we had to write essays about writing, having to prove our facts, and then you just like, how's fun? What's fun yeah. about writing? Yeah, exactly. It's it's so casual. And before it was like a debate. It was it was something where if you weren't ready for that interview and didn't know how they were going to interview you, it, it could be very confrontational. In here, it, there's no confrontation. It's how can we help you? Let me tell your story for you. Let me read your stuff and tell you what I liked about it. And uh, having conversations about that is, I, I can do that all day long. You know, it's just a lot of fun. Nice. I guess I can see the reason for both. Like creative is mostly people create better in like a positive environment. And then when it comes to like the political is mostly like, there has to be competition because you need the best and you don't need, you, know, you really need the best to do what they do. Yeah, you know, that's well said. I mean, when you're dealing with war or you're dealing with international politics, you can't come in second, right? You've got to come in first. And so it's very important that it's that way. And so they're grading out the technologies of my company uh, very harshly. You know, they they want to put them through the proving grounds to make sure that they they work um, because you they can't be tested in the field. You got to have something that works and you know you can count on. You know, and that's something that um, it's it could be deadly. It could be, you know, very important to the culture of the United States. And, you know, this side of it is kind of relaxed. <laughs> I don't mind. I've been doing the other side long enough. Someone else could do that for a while. I want to cruise into this for a little bit and enjoy myself. So it's been fun. Nice. And how has your brain changed since you was younger to now? Um. So... My writing's changed uh, in a variety of ways. Um, when I was younger, the hero always won. Uh, and, you know, the guy gets the girl and the treasure's found and you slay the dragon. And, you know, and and I think that to write a successful fantasy novel, 
you have to inject some realism into it. And sometimes the good guys don't always win. Uh, or if they do, it's at a cost. And I've matured as a as an author um, in in doing that. Plus, you know, I've learned I've I've learned how to do this in a way where I I'm a big time planner. Like I, I want to make sure that all of the aspects of the novel are in there. And I can't just sit down and kind of write. You know, this is something that I do much better at by you know planning things out. And so I have outlines and I talk to my beta readers and talk to friends and bounce ideas off of them. And then once I'm comfortable with with what I'm writing, then I can start writing it. And I think that's changed over the years. You know, in the beginning, you just start writing a story and then you're not really sure how to end it. But then when you learn how to do it better, at least for me, I always, if I know where I'm going, I can write the story towards that. Uh, And I think that's helped me uh, grow as a, as a writer and as a professional. Nice. So talk about your writing style, like your writing structure. So with writing do so how far ahead do you keep planning so like you write multiple books and how do you keep up with the characters and traits and stuff like that well you're you're gonna love this answer (laughs) i write my novels from the from the end to the beginning i reverse them uh and so i already know what's going to happen at the last chapter in the last book because it's already done like in my head it's not written but i know the 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 arc of that story i know where i'm going with it and that allows me to keep a measure of control of what I what goes into every one of my books. And I tease people all the time. I say there's no empty real estate in my books because if it's in there, it's in there for a reason. You know, and that way you can reflect on some of those characters and why they did certain things at certain times. I think it builds their character arcs and some of their own, you know, growth as characters. Uh, I think it also helps with the complexity of the plot. When you're writing epic fantasy, you're writing something that's really big you're talking about hundreds of years of history that you're asking readers to catch up on with current day heroes and villains that they need to learn and there's plenty of them to do that and then looking toward the future like what's going to happen and so for me when i started planning the four book series i started at the end and worked my way back and then divided them up at logical points and made four books out of them and then i started writing book one book two and now i'm on to book three um, which is going to come out here in, in uh, the holidays of uh, 2022. Book four, which finishes the series, should be out sometime April or May of next year. Nice. Does that ever limit you? So, like, do you ever get an idea that you want to happen? Then you just like, well, that can't happen because of... You know, that's a great question that I've never been asked before. Uh, and the truth is, uh, it is limiting uh, if you write that way. Uh, but you know, there's always a chance you could kind of open the door back up. And I'll give you a couple of examples. So I had some some fans reach out to me, and one of them said, please don't kill one of the villains in the novel because he's your Boba Fett. Like, he's your, that's the guy that you want, that everyone's going to remember from Star Wars. This is your Boba, don't kill him. And I was going to kill him, (laughs) right? But you hear about it from fans, and you're like, all right, well, maybe I should make him almost die or like a close call or whatever uh or there are other characters in the novel that they want to see more from like there's a i have a comic relief character the guy is like a his name is blue connie and he's got this tattoo of a blue raccoon over his face and he's a little hobbit but he's like on steroids the guy's like monstrous and he fights with two swords and he rides a war dog and stuff 
And he's just like the funny drunk character that always says the wrong thing at the wrong time. And, and you know, and you can laugh with him and other people are like, I want a story about blue Connie, like write us a story just about him. Uh, and so you, you get those kind of things and then you know where you need to go. Um, can I change the end of the story? Mm, no, probably not. But if I had a good idea, I could incorporate many of them in there or expand uh, the roles that some play that my readership uh, are enjoying and they're telling me that. And I just, I'm, that's like anything. You have to listen to what people like about your product. And if they like certain characters, they should be there to sell more books. <laughs> they tell you, eh, funny, they tell you too late and the next book came out, he already died. Like, ah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the worst part about it. You're like, oh, yeah, you're, you're, you know, too late. But you, you look, you could justify that by having a good story. And sometimes the villains got to die or the sometimes the good guys have got to die to make a better story. And so even though they might not like it, they probably really liked it. And they're passionate enough to reach out to me on social media or an email or when I'm at a convention somewhere and they tell you, why did you do that? And it's like, well, you liked it, didn't you? You're you're standing here you're screaming about a character that, you know, that died or or did something you didn't want them to do. But you love the fact that you hate it. Right. You know, and. And so that kind of stuff you have to listen for and you know, you could pick up, up on that. And I'm pretty available on all my social channels. And when people email me on the website, I, I try to get back to them within a day with answers to their questions and stuff like that. Cause it's a lot of fun. Can I call that editor? Can I call that on publishing? Like, Hey, hey I know we started, but we have to stop. <laughs> if we want to make more, listen right. to me. Yep. That's exactly right. I'm doing research right now. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and in some cases, uh, you know, you, you can win those battles. Sometimes sometimes the publishers don't <laughs> care. They're like, no, 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 no. This is the story we want. And that's got to listen. They're the boss, right? <laughs> so speaking about publishers, so how is it working with publishing? How's publishing in general? Yeah, you know, so a couple of things I'd say to that. I mean, I work with a very small publishing house uh, that publishes almost exclusively fantasy adventure stories they do some sci-fi they do some things that are relevant to that sci-fi fantasy realm but dragon moon press um publishes all my stuff and so they know the marketplace better than anybody they're going to tell you what to do and you get you got to kind of listen to them in that respect and in my case i've got a great publisher uh gwen gaddis who's you know uh the the owner of the company works with you she helps you with everything from the technical aspects all the way through making sure that you uh, are actively out there marketing your product when it's out there. And she keeps me informed on, you know, market trends and, and the way, you know, things are going so that I can write in those directions as well. So it's been very, very helpful. And I've heard mixed bags, you know, before I, I, I decided to, to go the traditional publishing route, I had heard that, you know, publishers only care about you when, your books are available and you know they disappear in other times and they're late on things and sometimes their royalties are are out of control but i've found her to be very fair and i think maybe that's a function of the size of her company and the fact that we're i, I think simpatico uh in what i'm trying to accomplish and what she wants to accomplish through her publication so i think i found the right fit for me it's like, like goldilocks right not too <laughs> not too warm not too go just right right so like I think I'm right there. I, I don't know what to say about others. I've seen people be very successful in independent publishing and doing that on their own and that self-publication route. I've seen others be frustrated with it because they 
are learning on the job and trying to do this stuff for themselves. And then I've seen people that are at the largest publishing houses that have so many restrictions on them and what they can and can't do. It, it impacts what they want to do. And they've got to kind of get prescribed the next thing as part of that. But, you know, again, then you're working with people that have monstrous resources that can pay you in advance to write a book, can make you money, that are going to get you on TV and radio shows and put you at the right conventions. And they're going to have a marketing budget because they're going to want you to sell just as much as you're writing. I mean, they they need to make their money back and their investment in you. Um, and so I, I think that that's, that's a difficult uh, route to go down. And I respect those that have been able to do it because it's it's hard. You know, I think for me and where I am, especially in this part of my writing career, I think I'm, I'm pretty happy where I am. And not to say I wouldn't do something that's self-published or I wouldn't do something that was with one of the big five or big six firms. I would likely look at all of those scenarios. But for right now, I'm pretty comfortable where I am. Nice. And when you're writing, do you ever sometimes switch into like professional mode? We start writing too technical. Yes. Yeah, that happens. I'll tell you, you know, that's a that's a really good question. I when I first started writing fiction, the problem, the two problems I had were dialogue and pacing. Um, the dialogue part didn't come natural because during my day job, I'm writing no dialogue. I mean, the closest I came to it was speech writing. Right, where you're writing something for an elected official or your client that's going to go and offer remarks and testimony and stuff. And that's less dialogue and more conversational. Like you're you're going up there and talking about facts and we're going to be in, engaged in a debate. I didn't do any of that. And so when I started to write, I had to learn to write dialogue in a way that made sense. And I think over the last year or so, I've gotten much better at it. I, I know I can still get better. Um, as I continue to write. And the other side of it was pacing. Like when I wrote this novel, it was supposed to be one big standalone novel. And it was like my bucket list thing. And I, whew, I got it out of my system. And now it's put it out there in the world and hope people like it. Uh, and what I found was my publisher said, look, you know, fantasy novels are typically series. Your readers are going to expect a series. And I'll take a look at what you got, but you're going to have to promise me a series. Um, and so I realized at that point that it, that it was going to be a bit of a career change. Like I was heading down a path um, to do something that was its own business, right? Like I I had to treat it like my my books are my products and I'm my brand, and I have you know continually push uh, people to take a look at my stuff and and you know and come and, and buy my material, and you know that's it, it, that's different. So you sometimes when I go to write, I'll fall into those traps where I become super descriptive and then my my editors will be like wait this is way too much you got to get right back into dialogue drop us right into the scene instead of describing what you see out and this is what the castle looks like and things you can put in a line or two but I mean, it can't be three paragraphs you know and you know and i you know i've fallen into that a, a ton or when you i i personally love writing battle scenes and so i had one scene it was an entire chapter long it was the same battle Right. And it's because it's just it's a lot of fun to write those things. And when you're in the moment writing them and you're listening to music and it's getting you fired up and you're writing, you just you sometimes you know kind of drop away from realistic writing and you just write you're just hammering away. It's just comes flowing, it's coming out of you. You know, and and then you get this stuff and you send it to an editor and they're like, 
hey man can you make this like a third of the size that it is or or else people are going to lose track of what's going on or you have too many names here or or whatever and so sometimes yeah i mean i fall into the the trap of professional writing or i fall into the trap of not remembering that i'm a writer and i'm just telling the story through words as opposed to you know really thinking about how it needs to be written like a professional writer would then you get to the defense and things of go back to the defense it's like you know what go back to the defense of writing it's like here's how the castle defense is in certain situations yep yeah and that's the thing and and i i find that um i think my experience uh with the department of defense and right you know has helped me understand how societies work and I, I can build that into my books to make it realistic politically and then from a defense perspective i've always been sort of like an amateur military historian i love that kind of stuff and you know being able to introduce cool technologies that people didn't even know existed like in the middle ages or the medieval times and you're able to bring them into a book and they think wow that's you know that's really cool where'd you find that and i'm like well these guys did that when they invaded constantinople back in 800 you know and you're like what like how did that even happen like no one even knows this stuff and finding that stuff and putting it in i think is is a lot of uh a lot of fun you know and i also think uh like you said i mean you you know you you write what you know and you know i i know things and so that that battle stuff uh, it's 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 perfect for me i really enjoy writing those scenes to make them as descriptive as i can and describe things for people that they've never experienced for themselves like i had this one naval battle scene where they're on these two boats and the boats smash into one another uh, as part of it and the crews spill over to 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 fight and i've never been on a boat <laughs> you know so i'm learning stuff on the fly you know like i'm like all right well, what do you call this this mass thing. Oh, that's the main mass. And this is the rigging and this is a baler. And, and so I had to like take a crash course on sailing just to learn what I was about to write. But it was so much fun in the battle scene. I get a lot of compliments on it because it's rare to have a, a naval battle scene in a fantasy book. So by bringing that aspect to it, you know, I thought that was something that's not unique, but sort of unique in, in my field. So I, I have a lot of fun with that kind of stuff. Definitely. It's all about learning and getting better at it. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, the more you do it, the more it becomes second nature. I, I look at it as muscle memory. And I tell people that all the time. It's like, it's when authors, new authors ask me, what are some of my habits to, to make sure that I'm, I continue to write? I always tell them, write something every day. It doesn't have to be great. It could be an outline of something for tomorrow that you're going to do, or it could be half of a chapter even a couple of lines, just something that immerses you in it. Because I feel like it's just like going, like if you, if you miss going to the gym, it's that muscle memory. Like your body's telling you like, dude, you're not at the gym. <laughs> you got to go to the gym. Like we're expecting you to go, go to the gym. And, and, and meanwhile, you're like, oh, and then you feel guilty about it. Well, I want writers because I'm that way too. If I skip a day or I'm missing like four hours of writing time, I feel guilty about not doing it. And when your body feels like that, your mind feels like that, I think it helps, you know, kind of advance everything and keeps them, you know, especially for newer writers that will experience writer's block or, you know, have problems with their stories. That way, there's always some activity they can engage in that keeps them through the process so they don't quit because it's it's not easy. You know, writing a book is not easy. 
Um, and if, if you're inspired enough and passionate enough to do it, you should do it. And that's, that's my one free trick of the trade. Do it every day. Even if you know, it sucks, just do Get up and go to the gym with me. In this case, go to your computer and start pounding away at your keyboard, you know, and get it done. Yeah. I done my writing. I'm just like, I'll stick to writing emails. That's nice. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> So let's get okay and we're back so what i want to get into next is the turning your books into a video game turning my books into what to a video game like augmented reality oh yeah sure sure yep so what was the inspiration for that yeah so i got contacted by a um video game company called melderverse and they loved the book and um they had approached me about being uh, licensing my intellectual property from the realm of Warminster to create an augmented reality, virtual reality video game. That's it, I don't think it's the first of its kind, but it's one of the first of its kind. So, you know, as a gamer, I don't know if you're a gamer or not, but like if you are, you know, you could play it on your computer, but you can also play it on your phone. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, you can play it on your phone like you do Pokemon Go or Harry Potter, or you could drop on your Oculus and play it on there. And the concept is really combining a lot of people's favorite things together and using the the four novels of the of the Warminster series to pull together a story that they could follow through. So like book one, your character can level up and this will be you know, 3D avatar version of yourself. You can create a, you know, a knight or a sorceress or a rogue or whatever you want to create and it allow you to go into the game and build your character the way you want your character to have it. So if it's a big barbarian with an axe or, you know, you're, you know, you're, uh, you know, a swashbuckler with a, with a rapier, you can do anything you want to do in the game and it'll allow you to purchase land while you're in the game and build your own castles. You will get knighted. And as you collect items that will help you in the game, they're going to be tradable. Uh, so you'll be able to enter marketplaces and trade your sword for a lance or trade your shield for a sword or trade various gold tokens that you've earned in the game for other things and buy things to level your character up as well as having sponsors from the real world. So for example, you, you, in the game, let's say you slay the dragon and you uncover its treasure and in the treasure, you find a scroll and as your 3d avatar unrolls it and reads it, it says to complete your quest and level up, scan this code and go to your nearest Starbucks or your nearest subway. And when you do, you go there and use the augmented reality version of the game and you take your phone and you show up there and you put in the QR code in the AR version and then you capture a, um, you know, something that's there like a Pokemon would be and you, you play the game and then it says, congratulations, you know, you're now level two and, you know, here's a free Coke and you know, we're going to give you $5 off your next subway purchase, you know, that kind of stuff. So you, you're able to earn stuff in the real world that you can also trade in the game. And it's like the electronic NFT version of that, uh, that you're able to do and trade these e-coupons or e-gift certificates, you know, back and forth and things, which I, we think is, will drive interest from sponsors, you know, for the game. And, you know, I'm sure you've played games where you've seen some of that stuff in there already baked in. This is the next generation of that. And this is really going to be a web three immersive experience kind of game, which is why it's a bit far off, but it's being developed right now. And we've partnered with Niantic, the, the, the company that makes Pokemon go 
So a lot of that technology and the use of it, you'll see in the augmented reality portion of the game. This thing pops on like how live mayor's calling you like, hey, there's people just running in and out of Starbucks. I'm going to stop that. Yeah, well, the, the hope is that they've already bought in and they're part of the sponsorship, right? And they know it's coming. So you, you've been at restaurants before where you see QR codes and, you cl- and then you create your own sort of virtual wallet and they send you promotional materials, you know, or collectibles and you collect them and where the promotions, you redeem them when you go back in and it's to encourage you to come back into the store. Same thing's going to happen with Starbucks, right? Like you're, you're, you're going to go in there and complete your quest and they're going to want you in there because they know while you're there, you're going to get a, a coffee or or an iced tea or buy a Danish or something like that because they're going to give you one for free. So you're going to walk into that line and it's going to be driving traffic into those stores. But in truth, it's just a video game on steroids. It's really taking the realm of Warminster and making it a really cool hybrid game of VR, AR, and traditional gaming. Yes, I can see this. And then with people who read the books, they can um, have a better, like a more rich experience that they have a past or like they have more context with the characters in the world. You got it. Yeah, that's exactly. And frankly, some of that's happening now. We have a Discord channel where we've you've even invited uh, early adopters to come to the realm of Warminster and they can complete quests. And in doing so, their characters that they're developing are leveling up and they'll have an advantage over others that are just starting when the game comes out. They're they're kind of helping us gamify that portion of it and learn what they like to do and what they don't like to do. And so some people are, are their characters are literally becoming blacksmiths or other people are becoming bakers so that when you come into the realm and you're ready to go on your quest and you need a suit of armor, you got to go see them, right? Or they're buying property and using that to build their castles or their strongholds or whatever. And they're earning points now that they can redeem later and kind of get a head start on everybody else, which is really a lot of fun. And the community is great. There's a lot of people that are buying things for people that can't afford them and giving it to them. So they're just a part of the process. You know, we've given away free things just to, to get people involved in the game. It's a real cool, tight-knit community that's having a lot of fun doing this. So what you're saying is I need to get my legs ready for running and exercise. <laughs> maybe, maybe. You know, hit the treadmill, man. <laughs> get a portable charger, but okay. Just yeah, that's exactly right. You know, make sure your Oculus is on <laughs> tight. <laughs> so that's a little bit about the game. Nice. Uh, are there any questions or anything you want to say that I didn't ask or forgot to ask? Uh, you know, no, I, I think that was that that covered it pretty well, man. I'll tell you what, this hour has flown mm-hmm. by, yeah. Like, I, it's been a really fun interview, man. I appreciate you doing it. No problem. Okay, so I guess we get into the last two questions, yeah. Far away. So, what would your origin story be? So, you can make a story up, make up a story, you can do tell a real story. How would you like to represent it? So would you make a book, TV show, series, video game, anything? Yep. And what would you name it? All right. So I've given this some thought, right? So I, you know, um, in my case, I, you know, if I'm going to do it, it's going to be autobiographical, right? I want it to be uh, a story about me uh, going through like a sort of like a life of Joe, which is what I would name it. You know, and just kind of taking people through this crazy life that I've lived, you know, like growing up, you know, my uncle was like a second father to me. And there's this story, this really cool story behind 
like this superpower, right? That he's given me, like he, he, because of his condition, he imparted on me something that I might not have gotten before. Like I, I was, um, you know, we came from very poor means. My family was from a projects here in, in Pittsburgh. Uh, and it was through his service and some other things that we were able to kind of get ourselves out of there and, and own a home for the first time. But for him, when he got injured, you know, the family rallied around him and the story of his life and how that impacted mine and how that he transferred those skills to me. And it became a passion for me, I think is a really cool sort of autobiographical story. It's sort of like the life of J.V. Hilliard, right? You know, you know, that kind of stuff. And I, I can see that being sort of like a mini series, uh, not, you know, I, I don't know if it's like silver screen worthy. Um, you know, I, there's not going to be too much action in that. It's going to be me basically you know, doing a lot of writing, you know, <laughs> so I think it has to be more story. Like, and if I were to break it down, I would break it down into the three parts, like the young life, learning how to be this stuff that, you know, and, and, and my uncle, and then when he passed, sort of like, that's the end of, of act one and act two starts with me finishing college, going to DC, working with the Pentagon, working with Congress and learning that stuff, but always kind of you know, it, you know, while I was doing it, becoming successful in my profession, but kind of pining for this career as a uh, as an author. And then Act Three uh, is COVID. You know, if COVID hits, DC shuts down for like eighteen months. I got nothing to do, and my wife is looking at me. She's like, "You're not going to sit around doing nothing. Go do something." So I, I snuck into my den and I started writing this book. And so all that stuff that happened in Act One comes to life in Act Three. And it, it's embedded in this this four book series uh, that launches, um, you know, part two of my life and my career, sort of like the back nine to use a golf term, you know, where I've got a chance to make this pivot. And there's a silver lining in this really bad thing that was COVID, but it allowed me to kind of change the direction of my profession and and do something that I'll be really happy with when when my life is over. And I think that even though that might not be a, you know, I'm not wielding a sword or out there with a gun or flying a spaceship. You know, I think that that's a, it's a cool story that kind of wraps back into the sacrifice that my uncle had made, you know, at the war for his country, me learning some of those principles and then me embedding those principles in the final story of the realm of Warminster. <coughs> Excuse me. Nice. Yeah. Uh, before I forget, so your uncle he was a marine and then you went into like political dc stuff like for defense so like whatever he did pretty much so led you to both paths yeah so i was the first person in my family ever to go to college right so my grandfather both of my grandfathers fought in world war one and world war two uh my uncles and my my real father all were you know, in a variety of, of other services, the Navy, the Army, and the Marines. And I grew up thinking that I was going to be, I, in fact, I had already applied. I was going to go to the Air Force ROTC. And my uncle, the par my paralyzed uncle, stopped me. And while I was considering, do I apply for colleges? Do I go ROTC? He said to me, he said, look, every person in this family has served this country you know, your path is the path of college. Your job is to take this family to the next level. And you're going to be the first person in this family to go to college. We, our service has paid for you to give you the right to do that. 
and he convinced me into doing it and I've never looked back, but I did use that to, to serve in a different way. I mean, working in the defense industry and helping our country develop new technologies that save the warfighter or, you know, provide for the warfighter if they're ever injured, it's a passion of mine. And I was able to kind of, I think, turn that into my, my, my public service, you know, by helping folks that were homeless when they came back from the wars or had medical injuries. And I've served on a number of boards. I served on the veterans leadership program here in Pittsburgh. I've also worked with Operation Troop Appreciation because it's, you know, the military service and the service of country has just been embedded in me, you know, in all of my family. And that was my way of saying, look, I'm not going to ignore that. I'm going to recognize that. And I'm going to, I will serve those who serve in the same way, but now I'm going to go ahead and, you know, take the next step and go to college and, you know, uh, and build the family in the next step without it having to be something like we had had in the past. So, uh, and that's, that's really what's kind of worked out. It's kind of living the American dream in, in, in my own little way. Yeah. Nice. Well, I thank you for joining the podcast and let everybody know where they can find you. Yeah. So thanks for doing that. I, it's really easy for me to be found. You could find me at jvhillier.com, which is my website. Or if you're looking for me on social media, uh, JV Hilliard Books will find me on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. And Discord and Facebook is just JV Hilliard. Uh, you could find me there. Uh, and of course, you know, my publisher is dragonmoonpress.com or all of my material, whether it's an audiobook, an ebook, or uh, paperback you can find on pretty much any if you go to Barnes and Noble or you go to Amazon or Apple Books or wherever you're going to find me pretty much anywhere. So, you know, if uh, your listeners and uh, uh, your or like the story and want to jump into it, you could find me there. You could buy it on my website. Nice and thank you again. That brings another episode of the Let's Gather podcast to a close. Again, you can find more information about JV Hilliard's series by clicking the link in the description below. For next week, I have Rick Darkerty to speak about domestic abuse. Hope you enjoyed and I hope to see you there.